Hurry up, your favorite show's about to start. Grab a Capri Sun, some Dunkaroos, and settle in for another episode of The Millennial Movie Club. Oh, brother, welcome back to another episode of Millennial Movie Club. I'm Jazz Zapatos, and I've always identified as more of a Mary-Kate than an Ashley. Nice. I have no idea. I don't know them well enough. (laughs) Get to know them. And I'm Dan Levine, and my mom told me that one year I watched Fern Gully every day for one year. (laughs) And you have no memory of this. I didn't know that I watched it every day. Do you find you are like really concerned about the climate crisis abnormally more than the rest of us because of that? Or maybe the opposite. I just think it's like a huge cartoon. (laughs) It's so played out. Yeah. Well, speaking of a hot mess, insane disaster, (laughs) today we are going to be talking about the 1997 (laughs) action thriller circus face-off. And I think, I mean, we've only done very cursory feedback from people who listen to the podcast. As far as I'm concerned, this is the one that people wanted to listen to most. People love face-off and I had never even heard of it. That's wild. I mean, I love face-off and I thought everyone watched it. Well, that's how I felt about now and then. So yeah, I like this like little swap we're doing. We're broadening each other's horizons. Yeah. This movie has a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. No fucking way. So it's clear like people were really fucking love it you know what (laughs) it is a thrill ride of a movie yeah i love this movie like semi-ironically right i mean you know you say you love face off like it's it's ridiculous i was watching it yesterday and i was like this movie just rules it's ridiculous i've finished watching it 20 minutes ago i can't even imagine what's going through your head right now i just don't know how to feel (laughs) i i'm like numb almost because i feel like i just got assaulted by this movie for hours and I am just like I need to ooh take a deep breath yeah I mean I'll fill in the gaps because number one I could talk about this movie forever and number two I have a shit ton of fun facts about this movie we love to hear it all right Daniel shall we set the scene please yeah the description for this movie reads obsessed with bringing terrorist caster Troy to justice FBI agent Sean Archer tracks down Troy who has boarded a plane in Los Angeles. After the plane crashes and Troy is severely injured, possibly dead, Archer undergoes surgery to remove his face and replace it with Troy's. As Archer tries to use his disguise to elicit information about a bomb from Troy's brother, Troy awakes from a coma and forces the doctor who performed the surgery to give him Archer's face. Oh my god, I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Does it sound ridiculous? Because it is ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. Uh, A lot of my fun facts come from a really interesting article. I just looked up the science behind Face Off, and it was maybe written a year ago. It's mostly like, okay, does this check out science-wise? Spoiler alert, meh. You know, but a lot of it is like right now, kind of some of it. It's kind of like Jurassic Park, where at the time it was like, this is an absurd notion. And then as the movie has aged, it's like, well, you gave us kind of a great, terrible idea. That's exactly true. I mean, the, in the article, they talk about Jurassic Park in the same exact way. They must listen to the podcast. Who doesn't? And our weekly spoiler alert warning, if you have not watched Face Off, I'm guessing you first saw Nicolas Cage in National Treasure, which (laughs) is awesome, of course, but go back and watch it because it will kick your ass and then come back and listen. Humble beginnings for Nicolas Cage should not be missed. Yes. As a little background, Nick Cage and John Travolta are in their prime in this movie. I think like the selling point of this movie is like these two 
massive, massive stars playing each other, essentially. I'm going to argue that uh, John Travolta's prime was Grease, but that's just my sexuality talking. When Grease came out, he wasn't famous. Right now, he's famous from Grease. He's famous from Pulp Fiction. He's famous from all these things. Yeah. So you don't mean like in the prime of their sexual, physical bodies, but in the prime of their fame and their careers. I'm so surprised that you think that's what I meant. You're right. Why would you be thinking about anything sexual? I mean, we haven't even started talking about the mom yet. No, that's true. I mean, there is a mom. That's usually where it kicks in for you. Yes, yes, that's true. <laughs> and it kicked in, definitely. So, Speaking of the cast and creative team of this movie, just to uh, break it on down, this film is directed by John Woo, who has started as a legendary action director in the Hong Kong film industry long before immigrating to Hollywood to direct his first American film, Hard Target, in 1993. He reportedly was the first Asian to direct a major Hollywood studio film, which just seems like a little too late in time for that to be the first. But here we are. Well, luckily, he's very celebrated. Like, people can picture a John Woo movie in their head when they think of John Woo, for better or for worse. Like, he's... Mm -hmm. over the top, but it's awesome. Yeah, he's inspired a lot of directors after him. He was a big inspiration. So we've got Sean Archer, played by John Travolta, which I just was like, oh, he was the original Agent Archer. Right, that's true. They kind of look alike, too. Archer's just like... dumber, sexier version. And that's saying a lot because I think a lot of people would think of a dumb, sexy Hollywood star as John Travolta. Yeah, a dumb, sexy version of John Travolta is young John Travolta. (laughs) Right, yeah, exactly. (laughs) We know Johnny from films like Grease, Saturday Night Fever, Pulp Fiction, and of course, the starring role of my imaginary boyfriend when I was a child. (laughs) Oh, right, because of Grease. Yeah, because of Grease. Strictly as Danny Zuko, my personal sexual awakening. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. Opposite him, we have Caster Troy, played by Nicolas Cage, who we know from Moonstruck, Con Air, Wicker Man, and of course, Stealing the Declaration of Independence. Yes, he's been in everything. He's the man, and at times the butt of many jokes. And a total weirdo. A total weirdo. Spending all this money going bankrupt on buying fossils and stuff. He's just a strange person. Just a few really quick facts here. They wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger and... And Sylvester Stallone to play these characters. Of course they did. Yes, of course they did. But I just don't really understand how that would work with their bodies. I mean, I think that <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger might outweigh him by like 75 pounds. The whole thing about this movie is we need to suspend disbelief a little bit. The other thing is the main character's name is Sean Archer, and it's based on Sagittarius the Archer, one of the constellations of the Zodiac. And it's diametrically opposed halfway around the year from uh, the constellation Gemini. And Castor and Pollux, Castor Troy and Pollux Troy, the two brothers, are the two major stars in the constellation Gemini. Oh, whoa. I was wondering why the names are so odd, but that is a very intentional choice and very interesting. And then the other thing is Nicolas Cage and John Travolta spent two weeks before filming to learn how to play each other. So they decided on like specific gestures and vocal cadences for the other character so they could be mimicked. I love that. And they seem like just weird enough that they would do that. Just kind of like lock themselves in a cabin and get weird on it. Oh, both of them are super weird. I was trying to figure out the whole time like I'm sure both of them liked playing Castor Troy the most. Oh, for sure. Because Nick Cage doesn't really seem comfortable playing Sean Archer. And I mean, I think that Sean Travolta does a little bit better at playing Sean Archer in the beginning. It's just a more kind of a straight-laced, boring role. And then it's like Nick Cage has the task of playing Caster Troy and then playing Archer, playing Troy. So it's like he's three levels deep into Troy. So like being yes. himself, but worse. Right. <laughs> Not as good a job. That is a mindfuck. Caster Troy in 
Sean Archer's body, he doesn't even really try to be Sean Archer. Like he's a way different version of him. It's sloppier. He's sleazier. Way sleazier, but kind of like romantic. Yeah, he's like grabbing butt. That other constellation you mentioned, Pollock Troy, the brother of Castor Troy, played by Alessandro Nivola, who's been in movies like Selma and American Hustle. And then we have Archer's family, his wife, Dr. Eve Archer, played by Joan Allen. She's an Oscar-nominated actress. We know from Pleasantville, Born Ultimatum, Room. She is like a super accomplished actress, but kind of quietly. Yes, very much so. And of course, the thing that I think of her most as in The Notebook, Rachel McAdams' mom, you have to know I love your father very much. (laughs) She's fucking great. She's awesome. And then their daughter, Jamie played by an actress named Dominique Swain. And in that same year was cast as the lead in the remake of Lolita, which received very mixed reviews, which I can see being the case. Isn't Lolita like supposed to be like 14 or 13? I mean, she's playing like 15. So some fun facts about just in general, Nick Cage considers Face Off as one of the best movies he's ever made. Of course he does. Yes, of course. (laughs) And in February, it was confirmed that Paramount will be doing a sequel with both John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. Get out of here. It's going to be so awesome. Now? I feel like every time we do a podcast on a movie, they're like, we're going to bring it back. And it's like- Yeah, that's true. I mean, we live in the age of the sequel and the remake, so- Right, like they're about to do the new Jurassic Park with like all the original cast. Well, this is weird because Castro Troy dies. I don't really know how they're going right. to do this. Right. Oh, but. wait, you're right. I mean, we don't actually see him die. He's like still standing up. Yeah, I mean, he's dead in the ambulance next to him. Is he? Maybe not. I don't know. I guess we'll find out when we see Face Off 2. And then the last thing is that the studio wanted John Woo to take the slash out of the title, but he kept it in so people didn't think- think it was a hockey movie. I would not have. Me neither. (laughs) Well, we're at that point where I've assembled some reviews for better and for worse. I'd like to read them out if that's cool. Hit me, please. That's great. Yeah. First up, Joe Morgenstern from the Wall Street Journal writes, a gorgeously shot, repetitively violent, occasionally repellent, sometimes silly, and consistently trashy fantasy. That's 100% right. 100% correct. I don't have anything to add there. I mean, that sums it up. What did our boy say? You know, I found that our boy's review, he liked it, gave it three stars. The review was a little like lackluster. It was kind of boring. So I decided to pull a review from somebody else this week, Mm. actually, in place. Oh, okay. Sorry for uh, assuming. It's cool. The person who I got a review from is Daniel's dad. My dad. Oh, Jeff Levine is an executive producer in this movie. I know. Not your Jeff Levine, right? Not my Jeff Levine, no. Daniel's dad's name is Jeff Levine. And in like the first opening credits, it says that one of the producers is named Jeff Levine, who I secretly went behind Dan's back this week and asked his dad for a review. And then was like, (laughs) wait. Oh no, that's awesome. This review is not from our boy, but it's from your boy. Oh, man. Daniel's dad writes, Face Off is the perfect film. (laughs) Yes, dad. Violence, revenge, no confusion over who's good and who's bad, which I don't know if I agree with, but I feel like there's a lot (laughs) of confusion in this movie. 
and the special effects were incredible. You couldn't even see the scarring where they switched Nicolas Cage and John Travolta's faces. Literally seamless. I give it zero Zs because I didn't nap while I was watching it on the couch. That's amazing. <laughs> I, I think that there's a handful of movies my dad won't nap through. And if this is one of them, I don't know how to convey that anymore. Like, that means this is a really good movie. He called it the perfect film. God. So. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Oof. We have a couple Amazon reviews because they just get worse and worse. They just crack me up. Starting with this review. Also, I want to note this review is written completely in caps. Of course it is. Cap locks on. So I'm going to read it as such. Okay. (laughs) This review is titled Vulgar and Blasphemous. The movie starts off with Cage shooting John and killing his son. Then goes to Cage pretending to be a degenerate priest that curses the music of the Messiah as a choir sings it. Disgusting demonic, blasphemous, vulgar. That was enough to ruin my interest in watching another second of the movie. God help these producers and actors on the day they meet their makeup. Wow. I mean, I imagine they don't like this movie. Like, there's a lot of blasphemous actions happening. Yeah, it's an action movie in the 90s. Another one that's just very simply titled Worst Film Ever Released. It reads, The entire film is centered around Nicolas Cage trying to bang John Travolta's wife and daughter over the course of two and a half hours. And that's true. That is true, which was a major source of discomfort for me. It was very uncomfortable. Okay, shall we dive into this plot? Absolutely. Buckle the fuck up. Hold on to your butts. Whereas we said Speed had like 16 acts, I feel like this movie has even more. It's still going. We open this film with a very creepy, twinkly music box score. We see John Travolta on a carousel with his young son. He's got that adorable 90s bowl cut. Everything is looking very good and normal for about mm, three seconds. Yeah, he does the hands to the face thing, which is going to be his like signature gesture where he like puts his hands on it and he like rubs his Runs fingers all on. five fingers down the length of his face. This Ugh, may I be hate. the bane of this whole movie for me because they never explain it. I totally get it. It's creepy, gross, and in some moments feels sexual. Yes. And also it's just so forced. Why can't they just make it something regular? My hunch is that it was like the kind of thing where like a methody weird actor like John Travolta like sat down with his family and they were like, we need a thing, you know, that just like is like, our family's thing and it feels like a very like actory choice of like we're gonna make this choice and it's gonna mean a lot to us but it's gonna exclude the entire audience and they were just waiting for an interviewer to be like so what's the deal with that but no one ever asked maybe or they're like that's for us to know Ugh, hate it that weird hand gesture leads us swiftly into a super creepy entrance of Nicolas Cage and I just feel like the writers or the director was like all right what's like the quickest way to convey that this guy is a total creep dick and it's like oh i know let's do a close-up on his mustache sucking from a straw for longer than is comfortable i think that and also like okay we need to convey that this is the past like that we're going to fast forward into the future a certain (laughs) amount of years so i mean he can't just like shave a mustache the next day (laughs) this mustachioed creep 
is looking through the crosshairs and trying to shoot Sean because presumably they are already rivals. And he tries to shoot Sean. She does. It does shoot him, but it shoots through him and kills his kid. On what planet does John Travolta survive getting shot like that? I guess it is like two centimeters from his heart. And that's why it's able to just kind of cleanly go through him and into his young son, which is sucks. very upsetting. We don't revel in that for too long. We flash forward six years. We're at Agent Archer's office. They work at an, it's like an anti-terrorism team. And then we cut over to Troy, who is dressed as a priest, setting up an explosive in the massive lobby, which we come to learn is the LA Convention Center. And for some reason, there's like a hundred person choir singing. He starts dancing, like kind of gross. And then just goes up to this woman who's in the choir and just basically starts molesting her with zero response from her or like anybody else in the choir that's singing around her. We're supposed to think that she's attracted to him immediately, which is uh, beyond me. Everybody seems to be. Yes. He's a magnetic personality and he's like, you know, I thought Hendel was trash or something like that. And he like grabs her butt and he like screams up into the heavens like, oh, <laughs> he, like. For me, the anger was that nobody on this creative team had the wherewithal to be like, if we're going to paint this at least semi-realistically, she's going to have some kind of reaction to it. And whether or not she likes having her butt grabbed, she is currently performing in a church choir. Yes. We're going back and forth between Castor and Sean. So we learn that Sean is part of an, a covert anti-terrorism team. Skip forward. We're on a tarmac and Castor is like meeting up with his bros, his cronies. He just looks in insane he's wearing like, like a, a cape he's dressed insanely <laughs> apparently it was a homage to lawrence of arabia cool good for you yeah good for you <laughs> and he gets on this private jet uh you know we are introduced to his brother who seems to be kind of like the tech brains behind their operation and then i was again super pissed off where i was just like who is in charge of this movie because they get on the private jet and the flight hostess immediately he's like Come sit on my lap. And she does it. And he does this whole thing that I guess he does to all girls. Yeah, he's like, I would love a peach. I could eat a peach for hours. And then he transitions flawlessly to, if I were to send you flowers, where would I, let me rephrase, if I were to let you suck my tongue, would you be grateful? And then she, he like sticks his tongue out and she like sucks his tongue. Can I tell you like how upset I was at this point? Because <laughs> I was like, first of all, what's going on with the women in this movie? You're either a wife or like a fucking blow up doll. Like there's no in between so far. We can forgive her that. Yes, we do. Because she is undercover. We very shortly after, thank God, find out that she's yes. an undercover FBI agent because I was about to pop off. You fucking lose it. Also, while this is happening, his brother is getting off watching, which is really fucking weird. His brother is the creepiest dude ever. There's this like weird dynamic between Castor and Pollux. Like he's like ties his shoes. Meanwhile, Pollux is like a, a grown man, but clearly they mention it later. He's like a sociopath, like an insane person. All of a sudden, all the cops are on the tarmac. Archer is 
chasing down this plane. We find out, thank fucking goddess that this woman is an FBI agent. It's like this huge chase where they're trying to prevent the private jet from taking off. Then Chandra Volta's in a helicopter, like trying to keep this thing on the ground. Troy shoots the lady FBI agent and throws her out of the plane. Caster's like, Sean, one of yours? And just shoots Winters right in the head and she falls. It just seems like a little too easy that this one man is taking out what looks like half of the FBI. He's using those sick double gold guns and just shooting like Lee Harvey Oswald, like just crushing people. So he shoots the pilot in the head, which again, bad move, tries to fly this plane himself, but ends up crashing it into this huge airplane hangar that seems to be full of barrels of paint that explode is what it looked like to me. Yeah. So for the rest of the movie, every scene is going to have like essentially like a box of fireworks that starts going off. (laughs) There are sparks flying in every scene and explosions happening at every moment. The crew had to get the plane shot where it blows up in one tape because they really destroyed a plane. They shot it with 13 cameras. Damn, woo. There are like 60 cars chasing this plane, of course. And somehow it gets to be just Sean and Caster for some strange reason because people are blowing up left and right. And it's just this huge shootout scene kind of squared up, gun to gun, circling each other. Caster says he's going to bring the plague that Hele deserves. We never actually get a backstory on him, what made him evil, you know, why he wants to blow everything up. It's also very confusing because later they say that they're doing this because they're getting paid by a militia. So maybe his like viewpoints align with the militia, but he doesn't really give a shit. Pollux creates this bomb to destroy the convention center because there are Supreme Court justices there for an event. Cut back to the standoff. Caster fires his gun and nothing comes out so he gets down on his knees he's begging for his life but then pulls a knife in the struggle caster gets caught in front of this airplane engine that blasts him back like 40 feet down this huge tunnel and knocks him out i I mean we presume that he's dead and the partner's like well john looks like elvis done left the building and i was like that's the best you could do (laughs) there's a couple good lines before this that i feel like are like character building like sean is talking to caster it's like what we don't have in common is that i don't care if i live so we get this like little window into like he is obsessed with vengeance for his son. He doesn't care about anything else. He doesn't care if he lives and he's a father and a husband. It's like, that was my favorite kid. My other kid sucks. <laughs> she kind of does. Yeah, she does. She's not that good. Well, he sucks, so I don't blame her. So presumably this guy is dead. Archer comes home. His wife and his daughter are fighting. His daughter got suspended again. She turns around in this like weird slow motion shot and she's got like crazy fake eyelashes drawn on her face with what looks like a Crayola marker. Right. She's like a character from A Clockwork Orange or something. She's like doing this kind of weird goth punk style. And he's like, you know, you change how you look and how you act every week. Who are you supposed to be? She's like, I'm supposed to be me, dad. You know, runs out. So obviously we have a troubled child at home, but he says to his wife, I got him, Eve. And, you know, obviously I'm sure it's meant a lot to this couple over the last six years that he finally gets this guy and gets vengeance for their son's death because not only is it repayment for the fact that he killed their son, but also this means that he can kind of slow down, stop working so much, stop putting himself in danger. And so his wife is super relieved 
And then once again, we do the weird run your hand down your face. So it's clear like from his daughter's reaction, he's been a neglectful father and husband. So he's like, I'll go to therapy. I'll do all the things. They're going to have me back. I'm going to just get a desk job. Yeah. So we, we fast forward a very short amount of time. There's a party for Sean because of his accomplishment. Everyone's like clapping for him. And then we get probably the first time where we see how much of a piece of shit he is. Like everyone's just happy for him. And he's like, why is everyone celebrating? And then he's Does like- Does that make him a dick? Like it, I thought it was kind of weird that they were like, woo. And I'm like, all of your coworkers just died. Ah, you're right, maybe. It's both, you know, it, it is like a job well done, but it should have been a little bit more solemn in my opinion. <laughs> I, I think you're right. Maybe I'm just being too hard on him. He's just such an asshole. He's just a crotchety, unhappy man. Yeah, I mean, I think that we get a, this is a very nice gesture, but let's take a moment of silence. Not like, why are you guys celebrating just because Castor is dead? He's not back. This didn't just fix his problems. It's definitely not the end of his problems because we've got a special ops agent knocking on his door, bringing him a floppy disk. That basically, well, for one, like everything that Pollux designs has some kind of naked woman baked into it. And like weird bit moaning, shitty audio. Like, couldn't you just build a bomb? Like, No, he's so <laughs> sexual and, and cutting edge. He needs to like put his little his little freak mark on everything. We learn that there is a bomb that he has designed. We don't know where. We don't know if it's actually been built, but we do know it could flatten a square mile in the middle of LA. So now he's like, motherfucker, I've got to go question Pollux. And of course, he will only talk to his brother, but he does not know at that time that his brother is, as we think, dead. They bring him to this high-tech lab. Castor is on a slab and he's in a coma. Uh, CCH Pounder's like, he's a turnip. For some strange reason, they're keeping him alive, maybe because they know this technology exists where you could take someone's fucking face off. Well, that's exactly what we learn because soon this doctor comes out and is like, you don't know what I can do. And I was like, here we go. So he takes him over to this surgical room where we see the agent that got his ear blown off in the shootout. And they're using, I guess, what now is is the equivalent of like a 3D printer, but in that just like kind of looks like laser beams building him a new ear. Yeah, and they could do that now. They did it in 2013 oh, yeah. at Princeton. You can print an ear. John Woo is a visionary in this very specific instance. It's funny because in the time that they made it, they're portraying like, isn't it like magic? <laughs> We're like, yeah, so a 3D printer? Cool. I mean, I still don't really understand how a 3D printer works, so it's still no. magic to me. I just know it works. I just know we have it. So it's not like this is top secret technology. Right. But they just like take it to the nth degree where he's like, what we can do is take his face off and then put it on your face. They're like, but don't worry, it's totally reversible, which I definitely don't think we're there yet. Probably not. Yeah, they were inspired by a TV program, the writers uh, about scientists growing human ears on the back of mice. Ew, is that real? Yeah, apparently. Okay, Millennial Movie Club, come from the movie trivia, leave with some disturbing facts you never wanted to know. Leave with a stomach ache. <laughs> so Archer's like, fuck no, I will get them to talk, it's what I do. Cut back to the station, we see him throw out these two guys he's been interrogating and he's like, wipe your ass. And his partner's like, ugh, what's that smell? And he's like, he shit his pants. Which makes me think like <laughs> you couldn't get Pollux to talk. This like skittish weirdo. Right. You could make a grown man shit his pants. All he did was be like, so you're going to tell us? And he was like, nope. 
And they were like, damn. Yeah, right. Oh, foiled again. I guess we better swap faces. <laughs> That's the next logical step. Anyway, he's interrogating all the bad guys. He does get a date that this bomb is meant to detonate. So they do have kind of like a timeline that they're working with, which sort of pushes him to the edge of being desperate enough to be like, all right, I'll do it. We meet two characters that are going to come up later. This like drug dealer and Caster's ex-girlfriend. I am led to believe that they are brother and sister. They are brother and sister. That's what I thought. And I didn't know that. But when I was looking up some facts that I'll tell you later, I was like, oh, it gets fucking weird. I was kind of hoping I was wrong about that. But what do I expect? So he agrees he's going to do this, but it's totally illegal like they do not have clearance to do this it's like an under the table operation he's not allowed to tell his wife or any of the other agents which to me is an immediate red flag you know his partners are like this is suicide it's like i know but i need to do it he's got to save la and just a little background for the face transplant thing they got the idea for the face surgery because a friend of theirs had a hang gliding incident they had to remove most of the skin from his face and reconstruct the bone matter and put his face back on goo who's friend Uh, One of the writers, I guess. I'm not sure. A real life face transplant was accomplished in 2012. So someone got shot with a shotgun and they put it back on. And there's been 20 face transplants since 2005. So I guess this works. I'm sure it does. And I'm sure it's nothing like how they portray it to be done in this movie. No, Sean agrees. And they're explaining all the intricacies and details about this face transplant. They're like, you're the same height. You know, we can take a little belly fat off you. We'll do some hair transplants and your eyes are the same color. But like, essentially, we're going to map the face onto your muscles. So we need to take your face off beforehand, put it in some goo. And I just have to say, this scene is fucking amazing. This is 1997. It looks incredible when they're taking his face off. I watched a whole video, a whole video, like it's a big fucking (laughs) deal for me. I watched a video about the makeup artists that worked on this. They created, it's not even like wax figures. They created clones of Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. They spent an enormous amount of time creating a working clone of them. They would put in hundreds of thousands of hairs by hand individually to create these people. Like that's not actually them. That's the clone version of them. Like Nick Cage was freaked out on the set. He didn't like that at all. Ew. Yeah, I could see that being really fucking weird to see your own corpse, essentially. Your own corpse. And it's enough where it's like, oh, maybe it's like paper mache or some shit. It's like silicon that they have. It's a pinata. It's <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Paper mache. I guess that doesn't work. <laughs> if you smash my fake body with a bat, the Declaration of Independence <laughs> will fall out. And that's how they got the idea for National Treasure. There are mechanisms underneath the silicon skin to make all different muscles move individually. So it looks like there are times when their eyes are closed and it looks like they're dreaming because their- Pupils are moving. I was blown away by this video. Maybe we can link it somewhere. Link it in the show notes. Well, link it in the show notes. The special effects are out of this world. Fucking wild. They're like cutting his face with this laser. What I love is that they're like, as long as we get an incision around the outside of the face, and then it's like, it'll just peel right off. Yeah, you just <laughs> take like, it right what off. what about his- nose bones his teeth because they even they don't talk about like nicholas cage has very specific teeth he has his teeth like they're just like we're just gonna swap your face not only that i think that john travolta has the most recognizable chin in hollywood yeah they make fun of it they do when caster is wearing his face he's like i have this ridiculous chin which i kind of love that they made john travolta make fun of his own face john travolta apparently was a little pissed about that (laughs) 
But like a butt chin, so I was learning about it. A butt chin is not a bone shape. It's like an inheritable trait and it's two halves of the chin bone fused improperly. Like you can't just, whatever. I mean, like this is the last thing we have to deal with. We're suspending a lot of disbelief. There's this thing about his scar that comes up later in the movie. So there's a scar to the left of his chest. He talks to his wife and he's like, I wish this scar, I could just push this scar over two more centimeters. And she's like, you can't want that. Like essentially what he's saying is it would have just killed me and it wouldn't have killed Michael. Mm -hmm. So before the surgery, he's like, doctor, I like this scar really means a lot to me. Can you put it back when we're done? He says something like it's a reminder or, you know, it's very important to me. John Travolta has become Nicolas Cage rather seamlessly. The recovery is like one hour. Like bloody bandages. And then they, he just takes it off and he looks totally he's fine. fine. Yeah. So he's become his own worst enemy. <laughs> I kind of enjoyed watching John Travolta's voice come out of Nick Cage's head. Me too. I thought that voice dubbing was pretty perfect. Really perfect. And I was kind of like, ooh, are we going to keep this for the movie? Then we get to the next piece of technology that's actually impossible. They're like mapping his vocal cords based on two similar phrases that they're saying. <laughs> of course, we're back to the peaches. Yeah, right. I could eat a peach for hours. <laughs> you couldn't just be like, hi, my name is Caster Troy. What I'm guessing is they had the FBI agent bugged. And so that's the recording that they have. So I guess it was better than suck my tongue. <laughs> yeah, right. Gross. <laughs> they have this little microchip in his throat. That will change his voice. I thought this was going to be more of an issue because they stress the fact that like it can be very easily dislodged. He was like, even with a violent sneeze. But like this guy's getting in intense fights this entire time. Like even when he's trying to get his original voice back to like get somebody to believe him, he can't do it. Like just fucking what What else do you need to do? Just jiggle it a little <laughs> bit. They made it seem like it was going to be really easy. I thought he was going to just like try to make him like the old cartoon, like putting a feather under his nose to try to make himself sneeze. We need Pepper. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless, we have even more technology. And then here's where I was really like, dude, you had to know this is going to go wrong. They put him in a max security prison without anyone who knows. Like, why wouldn't they just fill in the prison guards or somebody at the prison that's like, hey, don't like beat the shit out of this guy. He's actually an agent. There should have been more people in the loop on this operation. Absolutely. So they put him in this futuristic prison where they've got like these magnetic boots the prison is Erewhon prison and the boots that they created, they made over 200 boots for this movie, some metal, some plastic, and they would weigh 25 pounds each. The best part is the magnetic boots the prisoners wear in Erewhon are the same boots worn by the Goombas in Super Mario Brothers. Shut up. That is a fun ass fact. Yeah, this whole prison is one big magnet. So at any time they could flip a switch and all of the prisoners will be like stuck to the floor because their shoes are magnetized. The extras also are actual ex-convicts recruited by John Woo because he wanted real people. That's so interesting. Actors aren't strong enough to wear 25 pound shoes. <laughs> Which might be right. Yeah, we are in prison all the prisoners are staring at him like, whoa, it's Caster Troy. To make matters worse in a big way. Every action movie that I've never seen before that you have made <laughs> me watch for this podcast, so this and Speed. It's just like my, like my hands, I know you can't see them at home. They are destroyed, just <laughs> destroyed. It's just a one after the other of like to make matters worse and me just being like, no, no. 
no! We're going to come to like the most make matters worse thing that made me like super claustrophobic in like a metaphorical sense. Okay, looking forward. So like to make matters worse in a big way, we cut back to the hospital and original, okay, original Troy, (laughs) who at this point has no face, wakes up from his coma and just like fucking, he's just a faceless dude coming out of a coma just like, Oh, I mean, he's freaked out, obviously, but the fact that he can just get up and walk around. Without a face. It looks so scary. The only real good look is through a reflection of someone's glasses when he brings the doctor back. Yeah, he calls his cronies and he like makes them kidnap the doctor and bring him into the lab and they come in and he's like watching footage back of the surgery. Smoking a cigarette. I was like, you don't have lips. No, and you could tell because he's like, oh, thank you, doctor. Like, you know, he's talking like he doesn't have lips. He's going to force the doctor to perform surgery to make him look like John Travolta now, which is going to just throw a huge wrench in everything. We go back to the prison where Sean is trying to act like Caster and Caster's body so much. He's talking to Pollux. His like phrases that he thinks Caster would say are so funny. It's like, we're going to blow up LA, bro. Ain't it cool? Right, right. And, uh, they made a big deal out of this thing where it's like, you're the only one who could do this. You eat, sleep, and breathe, Caster Troy. Like, you can fully embody him. And then he does a pretty terrible job, I have to say. He's awful. I mean, he knows like weird stuff. Like, Pollux is like, all right, so what? medication do i have he's testing him immediately like he's testing him he doesn't even know that this exists this technology and he's already like must be somebody else in my brother's body yeah right right anyway like pollux tells him uh you know i designed this bomb and he lets on that it's the la convention center immediately sean is like you're pathetic and now he's like all right i'm out of here a guard comes in and is like you've got a visitor and i was just like oh my god thank god that was so easy (laughs) yeah right he's gonna get out of jail and then he can like stop him but who walks in but castor troy in sean archer's body and it starts to kind of dawn on Sean in Castor's body, what the implications of this are. Right. And watching John Travolta play Nick Cage is really fun. Awesome. Just unhinged. And really funny too. Everything he says is really funny and like really fucked up. Like he's talking to Sean and he's like, I killed all of the medical team and I also killed all of your superiors who are the only ones that knew you were here. You know, I have a bureau to run or whatever and a lonely wife to fuck. Oh God. His fucking life is over. Like big mistake. Huge. Huge. (laughs) Anyone who knew about what's going on here is dead. We have like a horrible flashback of him just like pouring gasoline on all of them and just lighting the whole lab ablaze, which is really disturbing. And now he's like, all right, I have the face of a psychopath and I'm stuck in prison now for the rest of my life. Caster Troy, as played by John Travolta, is now heading home to his supposed wife and daughter. And he's just like, all right, I'm going to play this off. I get to have the family and the house and the job. And this is where I was just like, man, I was dreading him with the wife. Like I was really like, all right, that's going to be fucked up. What I was not expecting so immediately is how 
fucking creepy he is with the daughter. Yeah, it is uncomfortable to watch. Really lovey-dovey with the wife. The wife is like, hey, we're kind of in a fight. But then she's also kind of enchanted by it. And we're like, okay, that's weird. And then he walks in and he like looks into his daughter's room and she has just like underwear on and a shirt and he's like looking at her butt first of all there i mean i would say probably in the ballpark of eight or nine you're no longer looking at your daughter in her underwear okay let alone 16 17 years old that's fucking weird she should be more weirded out in my opinion that her dad had just like busts into her room while she's in her underwear and she's mostly just kind of like get out of my room The next move is even weirder because he's like feeling around kind of like behind her and finds these cigarettes. Very close to her. Super close. And the weird part is like, oh, this is kind of weird to say, but it seems like she's kind of into it. Right. (laughs) Yes. Like she's kind of like just another one of these women that's under the spell of Caster Troy, even though it's her dad, her own dad. That's true. If you saw that scene out of context, I would never have picked up on the fact that she's his daughter. Like it would have just been like, ew, dad, what? What the fuck? When we're coming into that scene, there's a pretty good like 90s line. She's on the phone and she's like, got your email, Carl. That poem you sent me was pretty kinky. <laughs> I really like the idea of like sending a kinky poem over email. Oh, gosh. So sexting before sexting. <laughs> yeah, right. Where you can't even send images. So you have to, you know, put it in <laughs> septets. We had to disguise it in a poem. What are those things like when you can make images out of keyboard characters? Yeah, the first dick pic was via AIM and it was like an equal sign, a capital (laughs) B, and some apostrophes. Yeah, a couple uh, tildes. (laughs) (laughs) Some tildes. For those of you who are having trouble picturing this... It's a dick. Yes, right. And for those of you who are having trouble picturing a tilde, it's the top of the Enya in Spanish, I think. If they don't know what a tilde is, I'm confident they don't know what an Enya is. Aside from like that spiritual folk singer from the 90s. Oh, nice. Good call. If you know what either Enya is, you're good with me. That's a good spoiler alert. If you haven't seen this movie, there's a good chance you haven't listened to Enya. Who can say? <laughs> that was pretty good too. Oh man, every episode I'll do something. <laughs> do Please. Anyway, he gets super fucking close to his teenage daughter in her underwear, and she is like weirdly hypnotized by it or just intimidated by it. And then he just like lights up a cig in the house and he does that cool like, Papa's got a brand new bag. And then he does that cool like John Travolta (laughs) like saunt out of the room. It's so cool. It sucks because it makes you feel like mixed emotions. When Castro Troy's in his own body being like a creepy, pervy weirdo, I found it very disturbing. But for some reason when John Travolta's doing it, probably because of my intimate past relationship with him in my mind, there is something weirdly more like erotic and enchanting about it. Maybe he's just better at being sexual. He's more of a sex symbol than Nick Cage, in my opinion. I am H.O. Even when he's being a fucking weirdo with the wife and the daughter, there's still a little part of me that's like, oh God, why? I'm freaked out. Like, God, you're John Travolta. It's fucked. Well, I mean, I don't have a crush on John Travolta. And I found myself like kind of half rooting for Castro Troy the whole movie because he's so funny. And Sean sucks. He sucks. He approaches the wife and immediately is just kind of like being sweet and sexy with her. And she's like kind of put off by it because, you know, we come to read her diary later and it's like they haven't had sex in a thousand years. So granted, I know the guy has a lot going on, but it seems like he's been fairly 
vacant as a husband and a father and just sort of lost all that Saturday Night Fever pizzazz. And Castro Troy has got it. Yes. John Travolta, I bet, hated playing the first 10 minutes of this movie as Sean Archer. Like, <laughs> he was like, thank God we switched. The, oh, so this is where he tells his brother that he's like, we're going straight. We're not going to blow up this bomb. Instead, I'm going to defuse this bomb. And then like, we're fucking set. Yeah, which is weird because I don't even really know what the benefit of him being an American hero is. Like, what can he get? I think he says something like he gets to continue to be a terrorist from the inside. Oh, okay. So he just goes straight into the LA convention center with like three seconds left, defuses this bomb. And once again, like anytime it's something that Pollux has built, it's like he defuses the bomb and then it's just like this girl with her tits out, like do less. Yes, right. I know that this is the way to build tension, but the flair that he has is so unnecessary. There's like 15 seconds left and he's like carefully taking <laughs> Taking off his coat and he like puts in the wrong code at first. You're like, dude, Come you're on. really going to blow yeah. up. Like, <laughs> Can you imagine if the movie ended right there? <laughs> right. It's like my own hubris took me down. And also he's pushing in the buttons. For the, like I know this is a small detail, but he's pushing the buttons for the bomb and they light up before his fingers touch oh, him. It's just no. such a small thing where they could have just... Attention to detail, y'all. Yeah. You guys should have had the foresight <laughs> that so many podcasts are going to yeah, be made on, critiquing everywhere you slipped up. Our eyes are on you. At this point, you know, he defused the bomb and he's a hero. And so his wife gets home. They're clearly kind of estranged and he has arranged a date night for her. And there's like a dangerous amount of candles lit all over their home, romantic date food, like whole lobsters spaghettis 18 artichokes and he's just putting the moves on very horde my thought is where did he learn all this stuff is he a romantic guy in regular life he gets a lot of girls but he's telling them to suck his tongue he's not like putting a, a thousand candles around them and serving them lobster tails you know he's got to play the long game now i guess this is going to be him for a lifetime oh that's true so he's gotta make it work it's conflicting because he's also doing a really good job and you're like he's like genuinely being a good husband right now like right he is lying about who he is he's not being shitty like now listen up you're my wife and you're gonna blow me like it's like right let me give you a foot rub and make you feel sexy and cherished like your husband wasn't doing right which is the other reason why i'm like okay i'll just root for caster troy not only is he being a good husband he's also just defused the bomb <laughs> he's, like, right. he's like kind of doing everything right he's killing it and so then the outcome <laughs> yeah. is they have sex they don't show anything romantic go down between them like besides a smooch, which I kind of am surprised that they didn't show any kind of like really fucked up love scene between him and the wife. I could guess why, because it starts to bring up questions. Do they have the same dick? <laughs> Because I obviously was very hung up on the teeth. I was like, you guys said face, belly fat, and body hair and like scars. Okay. What about the junk? And there's a line towards the end where he says something along the lines of like, yeah, it feels good to be in that body, doesn't it? I miss it. You know, something like that. And I was like, I wonder if he's talking about the fact that like he has a bigger dick, or like just a better right. situation all around. They clearly didn't need to like think of this when they were doing the surgery. What if you're having sex and you have like twice the size penis as the other no. person's like that'll never come up but it did it certainly did maybe she's just like man his newfound fervor for life and you know this new oh passion. okay yeah it's like the grinch except it was like his dick grew three <laughs> sizes that day 
<laughs> I want to see that uh, animation. This is the exact same way. It's like breaking out of that brass the X-ray. Yeah. <laughs> that's what happens when you catch your son's murderer. It's true. <laughs> Dick gross. Yeah, that's true. Anyway. <laughs> Archer's in prison and he's just like, all right, fuck this. I'm not going to take this lying down. It's near impossible to break out of this place while he's wearing these magnet boots that are like connected to the grid. So he finds out that the only times they take the boots off is before, like if somebody's acting up, they'll take you to an electric chair that doesn't kill you, but it just kind of like sedates you. Yeah, I thought this plot point was kind of brilliant about why they take the boots off. Like it checks out. I like that a lot. Totally. And so he's like, all right, time to fucking get my ass electrocuted. So he just starts some shit with a guard. He goes into the little electric chair room and the guy who's getting electrocuted before him is the guy that hates him who apparently like Troy fucked this guy's wife and sister in a threesome. But he's just like, listen, I didn't fuck your wife and sister and we can get out of here if you help me. The guy was just like, all right, I believe you. Yeah, I believe you right away. And so he puts a cigarette out on the wrist before they put in the clamps. Dubov or the guy just like they start kicking ass. I have a good uh, multi-episode fun fact about this, actually. When Duboff is getting attacked by the guards at the prison, he dodges behind a box marked Ingen, I-N-G-E-N, and that's the company that cloned dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Shut up. What? They knew our lineup, our schedule. Everything's connected. It almost seems like they're doing this on purpose. They're going through, they're trying to escape. The prisoners are riding against the guards. He like finally makes it up to the roof and it's like, yes, he fucking did it against all odds. He escaped this prison. And then he realizes it is on like a floating barge in the middle of the ocean. It's like Chateau Deef from uh, Count of Monte Cristo. I don't know how he's going to make it out of here. Double fuck. Yeah. And now he's getting chased by a helicopter and shot at. This part really. Okay, so he jumps off into the water. Apparently the jump was 70 feet and they called in a stuntman who specializes in high dives. Oh, I know they did because the stunt double has like long hair. Classic 90s stunt double casting. Let's just fucking disregard. You couldn't have given this dude a haircut? Maybe he was like, I'm the only one who could do this. I'm not cutting my hair. And they're like, okay, how does he not die? I know that people can jump 70 feet, but he's not one of them. And B, how does he not immediately get caught? Do they just stop searching for him after he jumps into the water? They're like, oh, he's in the ocean. <laughs> can't do anything about that. We're not the Coast Guard. We don't have any jurisdiction here. <laughs> that must be it. <laughs> it's international water, waters. It's somebody yeah. else's problem. To Poseidon. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Cut back to Troy living his best life. They tell him that Castor Troy is escaped prison, but he's dead. And he's just like, well, if you don't have a body, then he's already here. Right. He's right. Archer is already like walking around LA in wet clothes. After having swam 25 miles or something to the nearest coast, I don't know. They don't show it. They don't know. Sh- they don't explain at all how he gets from the middle of the ocean back to town. <laughs> we don't need to know. Outswam a helicopter. Yeah, with yeah. machine guns. He rode a dolphin <laughs> all the way to shore. <laughs> oh, that must be it. Yeah. So Sean goes to the hideout <laughs> or, you know, whatever you want to call it, of his girlfriend and her brother. He's like, all right, when in Rome's body, do what Romans do. And yeah, he like shows up to the drug den. That's like basically an orgy. Yes. This scene is so fucking great. He like somehow (laughs) takes this drug and he just loves it. Well, he's like, we're going after Agent Archer. And he's like, what are we going to do with him once we get him? And then he does the whole thing where he's just like, I want to take his face off. Yeah. Face off. And it's like, no, no, we got (laughs) it. 
yeah. starts like giggling in his ketamine k-hole state and walks <laughs> off and the guy's like no more drugs for that man <laughs> <laughs> right like coming from a drug dealer <laughs> right like, you must be fucked <laughs> you know what i'm gonna go clean too yeah, right. <laughs> i mean i'm fucked up but how does that even work like isn't his dick different somebody check his dick <laughs> Yeah, yeah, check that man's dick. They're like, no, it looks the same. Smells different, but it looks exactly the same. So, you know, like, obviously, I'm way too chicken shit to do drugs, kids. But I have heard many tell the tale that you should never, like, either do acid or shrooms or something and look at yourself in the mirror. I've heard that's, like, a big no-no. But I'm like, not only is this guy, like, tripping balls, he's looking at himself in the mirror, but it's also not his face. His greatest enemy. It's a real trip. It's a trip, man. So he pulls a gun on himself. (laughs) (laughs) Cut back to Troy at Archer's house. And he's like on the phone kind of being like, we need to find this guy. And then his daughter comes home from a date, pulls into the driveway. This really got me because I was just like, oh, God, what a self-fulfilling prophecy. She is essentially getting forcibly raped by the guy who took her out, which is wild because this guy carl i think his name is is played by daniel masterson the actor who plays hyde in that 70s show who in real life has been charged with three counts of forcibly raping women oh yeah that dude does not have a career now because he did exactly what he does in this movie except john travolta wasn't there to kick his ass yeah i wish he would have gotten stabbed in the leg for one thing there's that and then for the other i'm like surely you know that you're taking out a girl whose father is like the head of counterterrorism you're gonna try and rape her in the driveway while her dad's home right come on man silly but it is so satisfying to watch john travolta beat him up oh fuck yeah he beats the shit out of him and makes him apologize and we get this great scene between him and the daughter where like he actually is connecting with the daughter more than her actual dad did and he's not as weird and creepy and probably more than necessary too like he doesn't need to do this I love this line so much where he like sits her down and is like if you dress like Halloween ghouls will try and get in your pants yeah Not a saying, by the way. <laughs> I, it is now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he has a talk with her about her younger brother. Like, he doesn't know this girl, but he's just like, I'm going to take a guess. You haven't been the same since your little brother died. And so now you act out and you dress crazy. Do you have protection? And she's like, you mean condoms, dad? Nope. Here's this insane dagger. It's kind of cute. Yeah. He like whips out this butterfly knife, jagged dagger. And he's like, next time, let Carl take down his pants and stick this in his thigh. Twist it so the wound won't close. Nice. I learned something. Meanwhile, the real archer is just out of his mind, wakes up in bed. His ex-girlfriend's like trying to smooch all over him. And she's just like, you got to get out of here. You're putting my son in danger. You know, he's starting to like come around to her immediately. Like he's realizing that she's the one who's getting fucked over by Castor all the time and she's actually a good person he's like puts on these clothes it's like nice looking clothes yeah they're yours nice looking kid too she's like yeah he's yours too and so apparently this is the first time those people are meeting which is crazy and the kid picks up a gun first of all I was like what the fuck is this five year old doing in this crazy drug den in this lair and it's also like four in the morning what is this five year old just toddling around picking up firearms and she's like I'm trying to keep my son safe I find a sitter but 
you know, he's a really cute little boy. He's got kind of like the same little 90s bowl cut as Archer's son did. And he kind of has a little bit of a meltdown where he's like looking at the boy and he's like, Mikey, Mikey, and like calling him his dead son's name. Yeah. I kind of like this part actually though. Well, this whole thing's like a cathartic experience for him in a way where it's like all very unreal. So, you know, that kind of like uh, make-believe can work in his advantage, I guess. He can like have Michael back for a second and he's all fucked up on ketamine. So they have like a little happy family moment for about two seconds before Troy busts all of them like with the FBI just coming guns blazing. I don't think you could just shoot this place up. What if they're kids? There is a kid. They don't have a warrant. They don't have anything. They just start shooting up this building. It's like, this is a WeWork. What are you doing? <laughs> like, oh, sorry, other. You're defrauding investors. <laughs> Yeah, they just go in there and classic face-off shootout scene where just lots of broken glass and... But the scene is like the way it's done, it's very artsy. It's like in slow motion. You're not always entirely sure what you're looking at. Like uh, the FBI agents and drug dealers and hose getting shot. <laughs> and also yeah. like, the, you know, it's so loud. So they put the little boy's headphones on him and it's playing the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow. So we're, it's also being scored by the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And it's very trippy. It's kind of a cool scene. It's almost like you're seeing it from the perspective of the people on on drugs. Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. I wrote, the bald guy dies, but now I'm confused because this whole time I thought he was the ex-girlfriend's brother, but then they kiss on the mouth. Yep. Bald guy drug dealer takes a bullet for the woman and her kid through the fucking neck and like has enough time to be through like, through the neck. All right, get out of here. Like he's acting completely normal for like most people when they get shot, they're just like, poof, and then they're dead they're down he like has a full like 10 seconds of dialogue before we realize he's even been shot and then he's like all right but he full-on frenches this girl and i was like wait so they're not brother and sister this is very confusing because it's not like everyone knows their brother and sister so it could certainly be like you know brushed under the carpet but apparently gina gershon and nick cassavetes came up with the brother sister kiss like the actors no yeah so why? <laughs> Gina Gershon said, there's something so warped about them anyway. I think they just really love one another. And so then the studio wanted Archer and Sasha to sleep together, but the writers and John Woo argued against it, but they let that part in. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. They're just like, you know, bad guys. They're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and incestuous. <laughs> right, right. Like, they'll do anything, these drug dealers. <laughs> Make out with your brother. I don't care. I don't give oh, a fuck. That's weird. Ugh. That like makes sense to me though. It just makes sense that it would be like a little weirdo actory thing to do where they're just like, let's take it one step further. It's a weirdo actory thing to do, but like there's nothing before this that would no. suggest that that is a regular no. thing to Super do. Super no. They just wanted to get that bullet point on the IMDb page. And it's just confusing. Yeah. But now we have a really cool shootout scene. I think probably the best one in the movie. We're in a room full of mirrors. Nick and Archer are trying to kill one another. Again, they are just the only two people somehow left. They're like trying to figure out where the other one is and they're seeing their face, which is the other person's face. I didn't even think about that. That like in their heightened sense mind of your like fighting for your life in this moment, your eyes are naturally scanning for your enemy, but you're constantly right. seeing your enemy in the mirrors because in the moment it's you. I mean, that's a mind fuck. They get on one another side of the mirror. Sean is pointing the gun at Nicolas Cage, but he's seeing his reflection. Caster mm -hmm. and Sean's body's like, dude, come on. We can like 
let's just have fun. Let's go like fuck up LA. I was like, I don't have fun. I'm a serious one. Somehow Archer like escapes up onto the roof, swings on this wire and knocks Pollux off the roof and down through this glass ceiling where he falls to his death. Castor sees him, finds him, and of course is like devastated and does the creepy like ties his shoe for the last time. We get this line where Gavin from Silicon Valley, whatever his name is, comes like, Sean, what's wrong? That's just Pollux Troy. And he just kills him without looking. Sean and Castor's body goes to his house and is like, my only hope basically is to try and convince Eve, my wife, of what happened. Just really goes the wrong way about it. Just kind of like shows up in the house. Yeah. And tries to cover his face like that'll help. It's like, just listen to my voice. I was really expecting him in that moment to like jostle something in his throat and like speak in his regular voice. Me too. He's like, don't. He just makes himself sound like a psychopath. Like, if anything, I would feel like you need to be super calm to be like, I know this sounds crazy, but just listen to what I have to say to you. You know, but instead he's like, don't look at me. He, he only <laughs> needs to do one thing. And that's the only thing that could possibly prove that this person is Sean Archer. That <laughs> stupid face thing. That stupid fucking face thing. And he didn't do that either. Oh, wait. No. Yeah. He does it later. Right. And that's what I also thought he was going to do was the stupid face thing. And then she'd be like, it is you. Ugh. But no, he doesn't. He decides for the first time. Not be a creep dick. Right. She, of course, is just like shaking and traumatized and just like, you're a psychopath. But you can also tell that she has been a little bit suspicious. The smartest thing, I guess, that he could do, that he could think to do was tell her both of their blood types. Of course, she's a doctor. She trusts in science. She can't help but be a little curious. So basically takes a blood sample from Troy while he's sleeping in bed next to her, just like stabs him with this needle and in the middle of the night goes to the lab and realizes that he was telling the truth. There's a cool thing about the blood types, actually. Very small thing, but so the two main characters' blood types reflect their nature. Sean's is O negative. It's the universal donor. So he's like the police officer dedicated to serving the community. And Castor's is AB positive. So he's the universal recipient. So somebody who like takes from society without giving anything back. Ooh, that's fun. I like that. Yeah, me too. It makes me feel better about this garbage fire of a movie when I realize like how many deeper, cooler meanings are behind things. Like, and for the record, I don't think this movie is bad. It's just like just a tornado. It's just like a, it's just all over the place. I love this movie. And I actually think this is a good movie, not ironically. But I also think that it is adjacent to a lot of really terrible movies. It has a lot <laughs> yes. in common. So it can be easily mistaken for a terrible movie. It's chaotic. That's the word I'm looking for. It's not bad. It's just like- It's all over the fucking place. Yeah, it's all over the place. It's chaotic. It's like an explosion of a movie. But like you said, very easily be bad if there weren't very sort of like deep and thoughtful things keyed into it. Agreed. That just helped not make it just like a bunch of cheap explosions. Totally. Which is awesome because not for nothing- People love explosions. Explosions are actually really super tight. So when you could have a movie that has is actually good and yeah. has explosions, you're like, oh, great. You did For the sure. thing. The best of both worlds. She sees that he's telling the truth, even though it sounds insane. Then, of course, he does the hand on the face thing to prove it. And then he has this monologue mm-hmm. where he like recounts their first date, which sounds fucking terrible. It was like the worst date ever. She got a <laughs> splinter. What, what happened? She went to the hospital? No, she like chips her tooth. Oh, yeah, right. And then there are no dentists open, and then they finally find one, and he's a drunk dentist, and he, like, fakes the wrong tooth. (laughs) It just sounds awful, but, you know, in the moment, it is endearing, I guess. So this is when she tells him that she's had sex with Castor, Mm -hmm. and then he has to do this thing, which is mature of him, where he's like, I'm really sorry I put you through that. Like, he's not saying, like, 
I'm really pissed that you had sex with him. It's like, oh, right. You also had sex with someone you hate because of something that I did. That is a really mature way to look at it. The decision I made has now violated my wife. Because you're right. There are some ways this would have went where they're like, how could you do that to me? Right. Like, yeah. Oh, you switched bodies. <laughs> I would have really liked that dialogue, actually, too. <laughs> Caster Troy is onto her. He like wakes up and she's not there. Also, not for nothing, but she goes to the lab. She just leaves her daughter with Caster. <laughs> Come on, man. Especially because then like they're still doing things as a family. So like right after this, they're going to a funeral. I mean, at least give your daughter a fucking heads up that your dad's not always says or just be like, time to go stay at Mima's for the weekend. Because of course, you know, this daughter, like most annoying daughters in movies mm -hmm. from the 90s, is gonna only get in the way. And she's like kind of in love with him, so that's kind of <laughs> weird. Uh, exactly. So yeah, they're like all going to funerals. They're going to the funeral of the chief of the FBI, but then there's also like the funeral of the drug dealer happening simultaneously. The ex-girlfriend says something like, he killed my brother. And then I wrote again. So he was her brother, but they made out. Like, I just could not stop writing about this. <laughs> that was the first time. I just yeah, really yeah. wanted to be wrong. <laughs> I just really wanted to get on this, <laughs> yeah, right. this recording session for you to be like, oh, no, no. You totally misunderstood that. <laughs> I'm sorry I couldn't deliver that to you. Instead, it was just two of the most actory actors in the world being like, you know what? We should kiss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking stupid. Yeah. The better part of my life I spent as an actor. And so I say this with great reverence, but some actors just really fucking suck. And <laughs> especially when they do stupid shit like that where you're just like. These two for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're just like, we're just, it's all about us. We're just in our own little world. Let's, right. We just want to really make this story deep enough. They're like, maybe we'll get a spinoff movie where we go back in time and watch us as siblings in love with shut each other. Shut up. It's just like weird up. isn't good. Right. Thank you. It's not always good. Weird is not yeah. always good. I feel like this movie, there are a lot of things in this movie that I just was like, this is such an actory choice that somebody just let them get away with between the hand shit and the siblings mm -hmm. kissing and all these things that like they don't actually explain, but you can tell it's just an actor making a bold choice and it's like, just yes, fucking gag right. me. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Fly off. Go off. This is why I do podcasts now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we are now at a funeral. I feel like this is the crescendo of the movie is about to start. It coincides with the most John Woo scene ever because they're at this like funeral and Nick Cage is like walking up in slow motion and there's these like gulls flying all around him and then he gets closer and then just like the church has a bunch of random doves hanging out in there just free they're like oh sorry we had a wedding in here just before this funeral and we just left some one dove doves. got married to another dove <laughs> it's, a bunch, it's just a dove family <laughs> it's a dove wedding dove wedding sorry they didn't, we can't get them out <laughs> So there are all these fucking doves flying around and it's like, yeah, very slow motion. So it's like we know some shit is about to go down. So then Nick Cage is like praying in front of this Jesus. John Travolta walks up behind him speaking fake Latin. <laughs> it's like, do, 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 yeah. do, do. And he like, dude, is this <laughs> worth it? Why don't you just kill him? Right. You really you literally could have just walked up silently. <laughs> and shot him in the back. But he's all about the pageantry of it, yeah. Come to find he's holding Eve hostage. The jig is up. Then we have this <laughs> part that I was like, okay, this is a little overkill. So it's like Eve's in the middle and they're holding guns. And like a crony comes out and like holds up his gun. And then the girlfriend comes out and holds up her gun. Oh my God. And then I was just like, there's just too many fucking, and it's just too, all these people being like, no, you put your gun down. No, yeah. you put your gun down. 
gun down. No, wait. Now you it's put your gun down. It's a part standoff. It's exactly out of the office. <laughs> absurd. I was just like, is this a joke? Why don't you put your gun down? <laughs> hey, wait. You put your gun down. <laughs> they all have like a stupid catchphrase. And it's like, anyway. It's like eight people holding guns at each other. Everyone's got two guns, too. And they're like, no, you double put your gun down. <laughs> Keep the left hand on the other guy, but you put that right one down. <laughs> then we have another one of these like crazy, dreamy, edited shootout scenes where like everything's kind of blurry and everyone's doing a lot of jump flips for no reason. Yep. This whole movie, people are doing a lot of jump flips that unnecessarily, in my opinion. <laughs> the ex-girlfriend obviously doesn't know about the switch. And she's like being sort of all over who she thinks is Troy, but it's actually Sean. But even... Eve knows that it's Sean and she's like calling in baby. The look on Eve's face, you're kind of like, I feel like she's got to be thinking like they probably fucked. I'm, I'm guessing so. Caster in Sean's body's like, Sasha, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, just like, <laughs> just annoying ex-girlfriend. He can't shake. Why are you here? Just get the fuck out. You don't like, know what it would take doing. me at least an hour and a half to explain this to you. <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't have time for this. There's eight people holding guns right now and all of our arms are tired. <laughs> The ex-girlfriend dies on him and is like, take care of our son. Yeah, she actually saves Eve. Yeah, she like dives in front of her. I didn't really get that. For some reason, she kind of like sacrifices herself as Eve. Yeah, it's like and a mother to mother. Right, thing. right. She dies thinking that Troy is kind of like a different person that he's going to be the father to their son. Psych. Then the daughter shows up. Of course, it's just nonstop getting in the way. I'm also kind of like, wait, why is she here? Like, I don't really understand why she shows up. Me neither. She's just running around and screaming and falling downstairs. Archer's trying to protect her, but she doesn't know who he is. Troy gets attacked by a bunch of rogue pigeons. And yeah. like they're fighting in this courtyard and the daughter gets a hold of the gun. Then he's finally able to get the voice thing working. He's like, don't look at me. Just listen to my voice, sweetheart. Which, like, in her defense, that would be really fucking weird. If I saw this murderer speak and my dad's voice came out, I would just be like, I don't think you're my dad. I just think you're like a dark wizard. Like, right, I don't know right, yeah. Him being able to speak as her father is just as feasible, if not more so, than it is her father, but with a different face. Right, I would just be like, so you're good at impressions. That don't impress me much. <laughs> <laughs> and then shoot him right in the face. <laughs> Like Shania would have done. <laughs> exactly what Shania would have done. <laughs> so you have my dad's voice. <laughs> that don't impress me. <laughs> <That> don't impress. <laughs> so this poor daughter is clearly like, what the fuck is going on? She's a little confused. Yeah, yeah. and rightfully so. She shoots her real dad. Yep. Then Troy in her dad's body gets a hold of her and just like turns up the creep factor and he's just like licks her the whole side of her face he's like no daughter of mine would shoot so wide licks her in the face and she's like oh no this is i thought i was doing something honestly like i don't know how she goes back to like it's kind of like how we were talking with mrs doubtfire like how do you kind of maintain a normal relationship with your dad after that without needing like intense therapy because oh yeah that's true because like now you've seen your dad the person who looks and sounds like your dad basically perving on you and taking you hostage and so like that trauma would still be linked to your dad's face yeah oh so then though the daughter remembers what he taught her because she has the dagger that he gave her and she takes it out and stabs him in the leg and then he just kind of goes on a shooting, stealing spree. He's just like shooting everyone in town and stealing their cars and stealing their boats. Yeah. 
He jumps on a speedboat. And at this point, it's like, all right, I'm in, of course, with this movie. But it's like, oh, my God. An hour ago. And you're like, now we're starting the crescendo of this movie. I was like, it fucking peaks and plateaus for like another 40 minutes where you're just like, oh, my God. That's true. That's we're true. We're fucking racing speedboats now? Like, yeah, yeah. We had almost everything except for speedboats. And now we need speedboats. Well, I think that would be a fair like, criticism of this movie. Like a lot of the decisions are made just of how sick it would be it has nothing to do with the plot no no that's exactly that's the quote exactly it's like a bunch of fucking stone dudes being like but you know how sick it would be i'm sure that's true i'm sure they had a bunch of note guards pinned to a, a corkboard and they perfectly fit everything in they're like oh we forgot speedboat ah fuck it throw it in there like, throw it in there <laughs> my note says sean steals another boat lmao <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, two boats. Like I could see, like they're in New York City traffic, and he one guy steals a car, and the other guy steals a car. Like easily done. Like fucking, they're just having to be two speedboats just chilling. Equal performance because they they can only keep up with one another. But they like come up on this police boat that's like stop what you're doing or we'll open fire. Like police mean like we're so far past police (laughs) in this movie. Like you have no authority here. Come on, guys. You're throwing punches underwater. Like nothing. It's like kindergarten nurse versus kindergarten cop. Like it just no, (laughs) there's no competition here. So of course they like shoot everybody on that boat and then they crash one of the speedboats into the police boat and it explodes. Massive explosion. Yeah. Archer's boat is on fire. So he has to jump on Troy's boat. Now we're fighting in the same boat and no one is driving. (laughs) How are they staying on this boat? It doesn't make any sense. And they keep going going under these really low bridges where you just expect they're going to crash. That's really cool. They're like ducking under docks. Troy is trying to smash his head in with an anchor and then fucking Archer is holding on to this chain and this water skiing best. on dress shoes. <laughs> And this is another part. These people look nothing like them. Oh, their stunt actors are fucking horribly cast. They just look nothing like them whatsoever. And again, it's like the long hair. Yes. I'll give them like a D for their accuracy and an A plus for how incredible they are. I don't know how someone does all this stuff. I'm sorry, but I'm not finished talking about the fact that he's water skiing on dress shoes. (laughs) You can't return those to men's warehouse. He's literally in a full suit. Is that a thing? I don't think so. Just was like the audacity. You play me for a fool. (laughs) Glad you got it out of your system. How much more disbelief can I suspend? Like you had me at taking our faces off. Right. Yes, exactly. (sighs) Like I think that they just saw that and they're like, well, if they're still in this theater, they'll believe anything. Like they we can throw anything at these people. Here. These idiots. <laughs> Eventually they're like so busy fighting, they don't notice they're like coming up to this docking marina area and their boat crashes and they both go flying through the air, except no they don't. It's two completely different guys that we're gonna like in slow motion zoom in on yeah. their stunt doubles faces. This is the most egregious because the other ones it's like, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Just like Jess said, it's going super Super slow motion, super close up, and it's just not them. Show them from behind flying through. Right. The air. Like right. why are we showing their faces in slow like 
just too much. And I guess they're fine. They've been going 90 miles an hour and they fly like 30 feet in the air and then they just land and they're fine. They're just crawling to the shore and they keep fighting. It's starting to feel like that family guy scene where he's fighting the chicken for way yes. too long. It's starting to feel like that. Archer's getting this shit beaten out of him and then he grabs this like little baby harpoon and stabs him in the leg. I wrote, he screams like Scuttle from The Little Mermaid. <laughs> So, take that. Well, that'll have to be a sound effect then. Oh, why you Sean in Caster's body takes a harpoon gun and shoots him. But for some crazy reason, Caster is so good, he grabs the harpoon before it could even leave the chamber, which is just, I mean, he's already dead at this point. He takes his blade and starts like carving up his face. I mean, I guess it's to like, I don't know, ruin the other guy's face, but like presumably he's not ever getting that face back. This is the part that got me most angry. He starts cutting his face to ruin John Travolta's face for all time. Do we not remember that they took his face off of his body and he healed in like 30 minutes. They can't like fix just a regular scar on his face. They took a 10 year scar off of his chest and then they could put it back on his chest somehow. They have lasers for that. Well, it almost seemed like because he wasn't just like slashing his face. He was like cutting around the perimeter. And so part of me is wondering like, was he trying to take that face off and like <laughs> toss it in the ocean? Like, Wait, what was he trying to do? Take the face <laughs> off. Archer's finally able to get it to work and shoots him in the stomach. Oh, the thing that happens is he kicks him in the nuts. Oh, right. He kicks him in the nuts, shoots him in the gut with a harpoon, and then screams, die! It's like... Die. <laughs> <laughs> the team all shows up like the fbi all these people they show up but they know who's who like the wife tipped them off you know so they start calling him archer it's like Are you okay archer they believe this ridiculous story based on his wife's right. anecdotal evidence about his blood what if a woman literally came up to the fbi and was like listen i know this sounds crazy <laughs> My husband's face got switched with another face. They'd be like, okay. Yeah. It's like, don't worry. I have a vial of his blood I took when he was sleeping. Was sleeping. Like, okay. You know, everybody's <laughs> family hugging and they load the two guys into the ambulance next to each other, which I also thought was like kind of a weird move. But the first thing he thinks to do is take his wedding ring off the other body and wear it again. The way they zoom in and how important a moment it is, shouldn't this mean something more? Like I didn't really get the larger significance of that. I guess to me, it's like the symbol of him kind of taking his life back, but uh, I'll just take the face. That would be fine. Yeah, that'll be fine. So they bring in a surgical team from DC. Apparently anyone could do this because right. like at the beginning of this, <laughs> this movie, it's like there's one fucking guy that could do this. Whatever. They just bring in like a surgical team from DC and they're like, doctor, I don't need the scar anymore. Right. His bullet wound from his son. Yeah. But it's weird because he's referencing something that wasn't the same doctor. So the doctor is probably like, what the fuck are you talking about? People say the weirdest things while we're putting them out. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, grandpa, let's, <laughs> let's get, get you back. To let's them. get your face back on. So. <laughs> I don't get the wedding ring thing. I I really like the scar thing. He healed. He doesn't need the old scars. Yeah, I feel like he kind of recoiled a bit there. It's like he doesn't need the old scars. Because, <laughs> because you want to know what that was? What? It was me keeping in something. It was me swallowing the bile of what I was about to say. <laughs> 
I was about to start singing Scars by Papa Roach. <laughs> I stopped myself. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is the whole reason we made a 90s podcast, so you can sing Scars by Papa Roach. In no other scenario is that acceptable. <laughs> I've been so trained, you know, by society to keep the Papa Roach inside. Society, like you saw, it was almost man. like yeah. it's coming out. And I swallowed the Papa Roach <laughs> back into my body. And you could. No, you got to let that out. I tear my face off my face. <laughs> I sew my face back on. <laughs> my scars remind okay, my cute the- dead son. <laughs> is this what you wanted? I did. This is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> I didn't actually remember what that song was until he sang the chorus. <laughs> I'm not proud. I say a lot of weird shit on this podcast, but that was a moment where I instinctively <laughs> gulped it back, like when you throw up a little in your mouth. But yeah, exactly. It's all up now. Not only did I sing Scars by Papa Roach, but I rewrote yeah. it. For not only song. did you sing Scars by Papa Roach, but you included the line, your cute dead son. <laughs> what else am I supposed to call him? Mikey? Because that's his name? It, it wouldn't have the same ring to it. I had to fill the syllables. Anyway. You wouldn't understand. (laughs) Do you have experience in musical comedy? I don't know that you do. I think not. (laughs) That joke made me sweaty. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was like flop sweat. (laughs) Okay, we're at the end, right? We're We're at the the end. Thank fucking God. He walks back into his own house and his own body finally eve's at home he comes walking through the door it's like whoever is on the lighting for this scene is fired because it's like completely overly bright outside it just seems like they're on the sun it's like scotland outside there is like a thick it's like heaven it's like it's like heaven right and maybe (laughs) they um, all actually died they're supposed to we're supposed to think something about that it's it's stupid the daughter's like dad runs and gives him a hug and of course she's all innocent looking again she's no longer goth yeah that's the last twist oh man she's no longer emo she like took off her makeup yeah and she's like i'm sorry i shot you and then he does the face thing which this to me is the creepiest one this is the worst one because we've been watching him be creepy towards the daughter as caster you know in that body the whole time but when he does the face thing to her as her dad he runs his fingers down her face slowly and it like pulls her bottom lip down a little bit it like catches yeah. her bottom lip in like a way that's just like no wonder in the same year she went and made lolita like a lot of daddy issues for some reason we like associate that like little thing where your lip is kind of dry so it like takes it with like it's immediately a sexual thing and then we're reminded about the whole sexual thing with uh, it's very odd and then our scars remind us that the past <laughs> is real <laughs> sorry. our scars remind us of when my dad took my cigs <laughs> Tear my dad's leg open <laughs> just to feel. Well, I have to listen to that song like 15 times after this. Oh, God. Anyway, I honestly, too, I was like, okay, we're at the end of the movie. Surely they're going to explain the hand on the face thing. And then they fucking don't. Then he brings Caster's son into the house because now he needs a place to live. So I guess he's now their replacement son and everybody's just cool with it. And then the daughter does the face thing to him. And that's when I was like, okay. You guys are aliens. I mean, my last note is Jamie does face thing to Adam. So awkward and unnatural. Very sweet gesture, though. My last note is <laughs> defuck did I just watch, LOL. <laughs> Someone's like, I'll give you a million dollars if you can guess what Jazz's last note is. <laughs> I- 
think there's like a 15% chance I would have said that. <laughs> oh, what a fucking ride. Overall closing thoughts about this. I'm thinking that this movie could not have been made with any other two actors, in my opinion, because as actors and human beings in real life, like they are just brilliant and kooky enough to pull this off. Agreed. So it's like just right in their wheelhouse. It's like the perfect crossover of kook. I think if it were made today, it would not be as successful as it is. Like I feel like because it's in the 90s, the 90s were reminiscent of just enough kitsch, you know, and like kind of sci-fi bizarre technology that we buy into it. Yeah, the appetite for that stuff in the 90s was insatiable. 80s and 90s actually, like very beep, beep, boop, Mm -hmm. beep. That being said, while the whole time I was just like, what the fuck? I did enjoy it and I am glad it was made. I'm glad it exists. Nice, okay. And I can see why it's sort of like a cult classic. Like it is fucking so weird, but weird enough that it just might work. Agreed. And I would say that their acting in this movie gets made fun of, understandably, because it's ridiculous, but like also gets a little bit of hate. I would have to say this is an impossible task to pull off. Like if you think they pulled it off, you should give them a ton of credit. I think they did. I think they did too. I mean, you have to act like two different people. You have to act like somebody else acting as the person that you were playing and you have to mimic the actions of someone that you're trying to get to know like that whole two weeks when they were just spent time with one another trying to figure out the little intricacies of their gestures like I mean come on throw them a bone they did none of their own stunts but the acting was a stunt in itself and I respect that yes it was like with anything you have to accept it for what it is and you can't dislike it for being what it's not based on your own expectations well said yeah I'm really glad that you watch this movie and you let us have this episode. Because as we all know, I am calling the shots. I yes. wear the pants of this podcast. I send it a formal request. <laughs> and I approved it. So what's your rating? My rating out of 10 is seven and a half of Nicolas Cage's teeth. Oh, nice. I'm going to get like a 7.8 doves at a wedding. <laughs> doves at their own dove wedding. Yeah, that's what I meant. I guess doves at a wedding is actually what happened. What I was trying to yeah. reference is that they're <laughs> at their own wedding <laughs> but i couldn't say 7.8 doves getting married because like why not <laughs> okay 7.8 doves getting married there you go there you go <laughs> first dance scars of my papa roach <laughs> thanks for listening everybody to this beast of an episode don't forget to follow and subscribe to the podcast leave us a review reach out to us on social media let us know what movies you would love to hear us bullshit about Say hi. We're we're really only friends with each other. So. It gets pretty lonely in these two rooms. <laughs> I was born here. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Movie Club. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and write us a glowing review. We are millennials. We kind of need the validation. For even more goodies, be sure to follow Millennial Movie Club on TikTok and Instagram. Later, Later days. days.